You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. The nation of Judah has just received horrible news in this story. That a vast army of about three different nations is gathering to destroy them. And King Jehoshaphat uh, has no idea how they're going to survive this attack. So he's frightened. And so he decides then that he would seek the Lord's help and proclaim a fast in all of Judah. So he calls the entire nation of Judah to a fast. And then he calls them into a gathering and he stands up before them in all of the places that they come, they come. He stands up before them and he cries out to the Lord. And this is what he says. And it's not up here. He says, Lord, the God of our ancestors, you alone are God in heaven. That's a word of praise. You rule all the kingdoms of the nations. You are so powerful that no one can oppose you. That's a rule of pra- that's a that's a that's a word of praise. You are God drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave this land to the descendants of your friend Abraham forever. So Jehoshaphat as a king calls the people of God to a place of fasting and to a place of prayer and he turns it into a prayer of praise and he praises God for who he is and what he has done. Think about the response. They're about to get walloped. And you would think a good king would start getting his soldiers ready. That a good king would start getting his soldiers practicing, shore up the lines, get all the generals in, lay out the plan. But not God's king. God's king doesn't fight that way. God's king doesn't rule that way. God's king calls God's people fasting and prayer and not just any prayer not a begging prayer but a prayer that starts off and is soaked in words of praise and this is what he does now pick up with me in the text if you will verse 13 all judah was standing before the lord read it with me even their little ones wives and children just so we are clear that the kids are not excluded I just want to be clear on that, right? Then the Lord's Spirit came upon Jehaziel. This is so funny how it always, like, I I wish we talked like this. I am Fred, son of Fred, son of Fred, son of Fred. I'm the fourth, by the way. That's how it would sound. Um, So it's so not cool. This sounds like a broken record. But Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Madaniah, a Levite of the line of Asaph. Asaph wrote some of the Psalms in the Bible. There's a reason, I think, why the writer wants us to know this is a brother that's connected to another brother who was connected to another brother who's connected to another brother who's connected to another brother who wrote some of the Bible. Like, that's kind of how this seems to work. As he stood in the middle of the assembly, listen to what he said, pay attention, all of Judah, every inhabitant of Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat, because prophets always have a word to the kings. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. This is what the Lord says to you. Don't be afraid or discouraged by his great army because the battle isn't yours. It belongs to God. March out against them tomorrow. Since they'll be coming through the Ziz Pass, that's where our English Language has a problem with Hebrew. We make up words. The Ziz pass. Meet them at the end of the valley that opens in the Jeruel wilderness. You don't need to fight this battle. 
just take your places. Everybody say, take your places. Stand ready and watch how the Lord who is with you will deliver you. Don't be afraid or discouraged. Say it with me. But go out tomorrow. Go out. And face them. The Lord will be with you. Now that's a pretty wacky plan. If you're the king. Don't you think? I mean, let's be practical. Come on now. We got some practical, logical, common sense people. I hear it all the time, right? So let's be common sense, practical, logical people. That doesn't make any sense. Let's forget that we're reading a holy book and let's remember this is a real thing happening. This really happened. So the prophet stands up and says, it's not like the Lord himself showed up. It'd be a little more believable. But a prophet stands up and the people says to the king and to the people, the battle belongs to the Lord. Don't even go fight. Just stand up, take your place, go out there and face them. But just stand there, stand there. We're ready to fight. How y'all doing? Like, just stand there. Don't go out and charge the hill. Just stand there and watch, watch, watch. Focus your minds. Watch. Don't watch the nations. Don't watch the three armies. Don't listen to the sound of the drums beating and the chill and the yells and the chants. But watch. Watch for the Lord. Watch for the Lord. Everybody say, watch for the Lord. See, that's part of our problem. Somebody, sometimes we're too busy watching the enemy that we don't watch for the Lord. Too busy watching our circumstances, we don't watch for the Lord. So Jehoshaphat bowed down. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground. Where was his face? I thought he was supposed to be watching for the Lord. Because this is... Humble submission. It's amazing how we get our, our notions of praise confused. That somehow this is more praise-oriented than this. Then Joseph asked, bowed down with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants fell before the Lord in worship. Levites from the lines of Kohath and Korah stood up to loudly praise the Lord. Say it with me. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel. So early the next morning, they went into the Tekoa wilderness. When they were about to go out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and every inhabitant of Jerusalem. Trust the Lord your God and you will stand firm. Trust His prophets and succeed. Now this is different because most of the kings like to crucify, like, like to throw prophets in the dungeon. This happens to be one of those kings who listen to the prophets. After consulting with the people, Jehoshaphat appointed musicians to play for the Lord, praising his majestic holiness. They were to march out before the warriors saying, give thanks to the Lord because his faithful love lasts forever. By the way, that's a psalm in the Bible. Oh, by the way, this is a congregationally read and congregationally prayed and congregationally sung song. As they broke into joyful song and praise, as they broke into joyful song and praise, the Lord launched a surprise attack against the Ammonites and the Moabites and those from Mount Seir who were invading Judah so that they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites turned on those from Mount Seir, completely destroying them. Once they had finished off the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy each other. What do you see happening? 
God answers the king's prayer, turns into a place of praise. He told him the battle was not Judah's, but his. So the Lord set up a battle plan, and the Lord's battle plan wasn't more violence. Oh, Lord, help us. The Lord's battle plan wasn't more violence from the hands of men to the hands of others. The Lord will handle his business. Lord, help us. All over the Hebrew Scriptures, we just don't often see it. Sorry, I had like three cups of coffee this morning. Then the Lord set up his battle plan. Instead of warriors leading the way, instead of the warriors leading the way, God instructs the king to place up a choir. John, there's your choir. A choir up front and march into battle singing praises to his name. I would have loved to have seen Jehoshaphat's like, look on his face when the prophets basically came to him and said, put up your swords and grab your hymn books. And march into battle singing praises to God. No arrows were to fly through the air. Only praises to God were to fly through the air. And you know what's crazy about this text? We read it and we go, God doesn't work that way anymore. That's what we think, isn't it? Let's be honest. That's Old Testament. That's when God used to do miracles. You know, as if God stopped. No, maybe the thing is, is this is when people used to take God seriously enough to do what he said to do. Like, you know, love his enemies and bless them and all that kind of stuff Jesus taught. This is when God's people were faithful. In a very marked lineage of story where they weren't always faithful. Regardless of what the king felt inside, King's actions demonstrated that he trusted God and obeyed the Lord. And before Judah even reached the battlefield, God had thrown the armies, the enemy army, into such confusion. Sounds a little bit like the Gideon story, right? Threw them in such confusion that they turned on one another. The army of Judah never lifted a bow because all they did was lift praise. There is a power that comes from praise. Say it with me. There is a power that comes from praise. Come on, say it with me again. There is a power that comes from praise. I'm reminded of something C.S. Lewis said as I was kind of thinking through this. C.S. Lewis found himself writing about praise in his book on Revelation, on the, uh, Reflections on the Psalms. And there he begins to kind of ask some questions that I used to ask and that I find myself asking from time to time. Why worship a God who needs nothing? I mean, how do you do that? And if God is sovereign and self-sufficient, why does he desire worship and praise of him? C.S. Lewis said this. He said the most obvious, the most obvious fact about praise, or whether or God, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or giving of honor. That's how we often think of praise, is compliment, approval, or giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise, unless shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought into check. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their sweethearts. Readers, their favorite poet. Walkers praising the countryside. Players praising their favorite game. Praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians be, uh, are scholars, except where intolerably adverse circumstances and a fear of praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. 
I'm not noticed. Either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? The psalmist in telling everyone to praise God are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. What we delight to do, what indeed we can't help doing about everything else we value. I think, he says, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment. Listen as I agree with this. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. I mean, why do we say I love you more than once to people we love? It's not like they forgot. Because that feeling of expression is not complete until something is expressed. If it were possible for a created soul fully to appreciate, that is to love and delight in, the worthiest object of all and simultaneously at every moment to give this delight perfect expression, then the soul would be in supreme beatitude. Fully to enjoy is to glorify and commanding us to glorify Him. God is inviting us to enjoy Him. And that's where I want to start before I get into my stereotypical, I have eight points for us to make notes on today. God is inviting us to enjoy Him. And when we come into a place of enjoying God, we cannot help but praise God. In the same way that we praise our football team when they're having a good season. Or we praise our little babies if we're grandparents that are born into our lives or that are super fun. Or for, our, for us who praise, who praise our jobs or praise our performances of our jobs when we accomplish that thing. I think Lewis has a point that we praise that which we value most. And what I've been thinking is, is my lack of praise evidence of a lack of value? Is there a place where I find myself in my faith where I'm not enjoying God and I find myself just working for Him all the time? And I'm failing to enjoy Him in the way that He wants me to enjoy Him and so my praises ring a little slow. I don't know. Just giving that some thought for me. Here's what I've come to believe. And I've held this for a long time. That there is a power in praise. And when you read the scripture over and over again, it time and time again, the story of Jehoshaphat and those, it's not just some anecdotal story. It's not just a once in a time thing. It's not a one-off in scripture. That there's a power of praise because of what praise does to the mind. When we start to praise God, we turn our attention away from the thing and toward the God who can do something about the thing. And that does something inside of me. And I find that that changes who I am. And so I want to I I go there. I want to give you eight things. If you're in your version app, you can make notes. If you want to just make notes anyway. There are eight things that I think the power of praise can do. Number one, praise gets our minds off ourselves and turns our attention to God. That's why some of the songs that we sing can't be all about me, 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 Jesus, my boyfriend, me, 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 me songs. There needs to be some songs that say you, 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 you songs. 
And there doesn't need to be me, 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 I, I, I songs. There needs to be we, 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 us, us, us songs. There needs to be songs that turn our minds off of ourselves and turn our attention on the God. There need to be moments of prayer when we're in community where we turn our minds off of ourselves and turn our attention back to God. In our selfie-focused society of stress, we need to remember what life's all about. For some, we need to remember that it's not all about me. For others, we need to remember that our lives aren't defined by our worst actions. Don't lose me here. Come on, stay with me. And for some, according to this study, we need to remember that our lives aren't to be placed in the grip of other hopes and promises. Praise can turn our mind and attention back to God. That's why Psalm 150 says this. Let's say it together. We're going to read these together. Read them. Come on. Praise the Lord. Hold on. Stop. There's an exclamation point at the end of that song. So say like, say it. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise God in his fortress, the sky. Praise God in His mighty acts. Praise God as suits His incredible greatness. Praise God with the blast of the ram's horn. Praise God with the lute and the lyre. Praise God with drum and dance. Praise God with strings and pipe. Praise God with loud cymbals. Praise God with clashing cymbals. Let every living thing praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Turn the music down. Stop dancing. What's your answer? No. Praise the Lord. The psalmist didn't write a, just kidding, at the bend of this. This was a well up of praise. Second thing, praise brings us into a place of humble submission. But yes, humble submission can look like, are you ready? Dancing. We remember our dependency on God as we acknowledge our need for Him. We realize that it's, not a, that it's about God's worth, not our worthiness. You hear me? This isn't about your worthiness. That's the beauty of God. God wants you just to come. He's not checking you at the door, taking some sort of intake process of whether or not you're worthy of giving Him praise. It's about God's worth, not our worthiness. It's about God's graciousness, not our greatness. It's about God's strength, not our struggle. It's about God's promise of his presence, not our prideful belief in pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. That is not biblical. God helps those who help themselves is found in a fortune cookie, not the Bible. Praise is about submission. It's about drawing near. It is sometimes nothing but a word of declaration of God's faithfulness in our moments of failure, of His goodness in our moment of weakness, of His importance due to our inadequacies, of His sovereign love and gracious forgiveness in our moments of sinful frailty. Even when we don't feel like it, that's the thing about praise is it's not about our feelings. It's about God's worth. Come on, am I just preaching to myself this morning? Like I'm already sweating. I wore a t-shirt because I thought I'd be sweating this way. I put on extra deodorant for y'all. Like, it's about God's worth, not our worthiness. This isn't about my feelings. It's about God's goodness. 
That is why the psalmist said, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Psalm 35, 18, I will give you thanks in the great congregation. I will praise you among much people. See, the other thing about praise, and maybe this is part of our problem in a stressed out, angry culture. Praise leaves no room for complaining and negativity. And some of us just love that. Some of us come and complain about the praise. I complain about the praise sometimes. Raise your hand if you ever complained about the praise. Raise your hand if you ever lied in church. <laughs> we complain about not just the music, but about the liturgy, or about the this, or about the that, or about the AC, or the lack thereof, or about whatever. We pray, we, we, com- we come in, and the thing about praise is praise isn't interested in the complaining and the negativity. Praise leaves no room for complaining and negativity. It makes room for hope. Sometimes even with our prayers, we can tend to complain about our problems. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes in our prayers, we can complain about our problems. And God knows our hearts and cares about all that concerns us. But through praise, we focus on Him. No longer allowing too much attention to be centered around our struggles. We're reminded of what He's already done in our lives. We're reminded that He knows what concerns us. And He's capable of taking care of what burdens us. Because too many times we can start filling filling out where God has been missing in our own lives and forget that God has been there all along. That's why the psalmist said, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Read it with me. And forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Because when we enter into this place of praise, what we end up doing is we end up making room for God's blessings over our lives. You see how it flows? Let me start over. Praise gets our minds off ourselves and turns our attention on to God, which leads us into humble submission, which makes no room for complaining and negativity, which makes room for His blessings. Because we can see the blessing when it shows up rather than pass by it because it wasn't the blessing we asked for. It was the blessing God gave that was a blessing nonetheless. The thing is, there's a lot of times where God has not answered my prayers the way I need Him and want Him to answer it. I can tell you that. Raise your hand if you ever had that before. But yet here we all sit. Life isn't judged in a Kodak moment. And neither should God be. Thank God he doesn't do that to us. He will not hold back his goodness. And praise opens the gateway of blessing as we come into his presence of our king. Like we said earlier, God desires our greatest good. And what greater good is there in the universe than God giving himself? Like if God really is the greatest good, then what gift can God give that's better than him? Think about that. If if we really think he's good, then what better gift is there to give than his presence? And he's made a promise about that presence, hasn't he? I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we would never have to. This isn't about feeling his presence. It's about knowing it. And praise turns us into knowing, into feeling again. Praise has this way of opening us up to the blessings of God. 
where he pours out the blessings. Psalm 101, read it with me and read it because it has exclamation points. Shout triumphantly to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with celebration. Come before Him with shouts of joy. Know that the Lord is God. He made us. We belong to Him. We are His people, the sheep of His own pasture. Enter His gates with thanks. Enter His courtyards with praise. Thank Him. Bless His name because the Lord is good. His loyal love lasts forever. His faithfulness lasts generation after generation. And when we find this out, we find out that praise renews our minds and refreshes our souls in an awareness of His presence. We're strengthened by the awareness of the God who is present. He's always present. It's us who are not always present. And praise places us into a place of presence with God. But if we're too busy critiquing the song, if we're too busy critiquing the liturgy, do it after and do it before, but not during. I love our praise team. I've told you a million times, I don't like some of the songs we do. It's not about my preferences. It's about the presence of God. And I can sit and bemoan all these things of what happens in moments of praise and complain about how the sermon didn't feed me, probably because we forgot our forks. Or how the song didn't resonate with me. Probably because we weren't into the lyric. The message of the song. And I would argue that we just can't be there because our minds aren't on God. They're on something else. And so our souls are left and our minds are left unrenewed and unrefreshed. But this isn't about a Sunday service. This isn't a sermon about Sunday worship gathering praise. This is about a life of praise. This is about learning to have moments of praise. This is about choosing to turn the radio off when I'm driving down the road and find things to praise God about because there are always reasons to praise God because He's always been God. This is about turning the TV off. Lord knows, turning the TV off and praising God that you have fingers that can still turn the TV off and praise God. In His presence, the psalmist says, there is fullness of joy. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I'll praise you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up your hands. And then here's where I wanted to land. We're getting there. See, what happens is praise makes room for the manifest presence and reign of Christ to break in. Say manifest. See, the thing is, is God is always present. He's always there. But the manifest presence is when God shows up in some way that you just can't deny it. The Scripture's filled with that. The problem is we don't always see it. The manifest presence is what happens with Jehoshaphat. And that's the thing. Because we don't always see the manifest presence of God, we don't believe that God still works that way sometimes. And maybe it's because we're not praising God. We're not, we're not turning our attention to the way He is working. We're just not turning our attention to the way He's working. So, so that's why it says, He inhabits the praises of His people. So when we're praising God, where is God? Come on, where is God? When we're praising God, where do we know God is? He's inhabiting those praises. The question is, are we seeing the inhabitation of the God who inhabits those praises? See, there's a story I love in the Scripture. It's in Acts. It's after Paul, Peter um, and John get out of jail. Listen to the text. Uh, Acts 4, 23. 
After their release, Peter and John returned to the brothers and sisters and reported everything the chief priests and elders had said. They listened, then lifted their voices in unison to God. Say unison. There's that congregational stuff again. Master, you are the one who created the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. Sounds like a word of praise, doesn't it? You are the one who spoke by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant. Sounds like praise. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against this Christ. Indeed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with Gentiles and Israelites did gather in this city against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and plan had already determined what would happen. Now, Lord, take note of their threats and enable your servant to speak your word with complete confidence. Stretch out your hand and bring healing and enable signs and wonders to be performed through the name of Jesus, your holy servant. Read this with me. After they prayed, the place where they were gathered was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking God's words in confidence. And why is that? They started off in praise. They started off in praising God and they brought their petition to God after they praised God and what the Holy Spirit do. Had he not filled them? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. So when the text says filled with the Holy Spirit, it means manifest presence of the Spirit of God. Some of us just aren't Pentecostal enough. Some of us don't believe this still happens. And it's affecting our praise. And this is why we lose. This is why this so-called nation that's filled with Christians is the most stressed out one in the world. Come on now. We got God in our constitution thinking we're Christian, but we stressed out. Praise pushes back the enemy pushes back the darkness, liberates us into the reality of God's victorious reign. That's what praise does. You praise God in the middle of the storm. You praise God in the middle of the place. My elders were here who, um, Danny and, and Ray are gone. Paul's out of town. But Dave and Garrett, all you know, when we've entered into places of spiritual warfare, what have we done? We have prayed prayers of praise. Have we not, Dave? We would pray prayers of praise. We would praise into that darkness. Because we know that praise pushes back against the darkness. What did it do to the enemy in the story we read? It killed the enemy. It defeated the enemy. What did it do in the church of Acts? Did it change their situation? No, it gave them strength and confidence to live through their situation. Because praise liberates. Praise pushes back. That is why it says, as they broke in the joyful song of praise, the Lord launched a surprising attack against them. The Lord is at work. When we praise God, He moves. That is why in James 4 it says, do you suppose that the Scripture is meaningless? Doesn't God long for our faithfulness in the life He's given to us, but He gives us more grace? This is why He says God stands against the proud, because praise, not praising is proud. Complaint, negativity, that can be proud. God stands against that. But God favors the humble. Yes, God favors some over others. For those of us who've read wrongly that God shows no favoritism. In other words, God enters into a humble heart because a humble heart's willing. God enters into places of praise because it's willing. Young, come on up. That he praises. 
And when we praise, that's humility, submission. Therefore, submit to God. Read this with me. Resist the devil, and he will run away from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. When we praise God, we're coming near to God. God comes near to us. The manifest presence of God can happen. The devil can't live where God lives. So if you got problems, how about you praise God in the midst of the problems? Just try it. Just try it for a week. I know what problems are. They stink. They're heavy, especially the hard ones that traumatize the mind and the heart. But if you got them, try it. Just try it. Just walk in there, praising God. Sound like one of those people. You know what I'm talking about when I say those people. Sound like one of those people. Now, leave the hashtag too blessed to be stressed thing going. Like, leave that. Don't, don't be doing, like, no, none of that. No, no, no hashtag blessed. Just enter into that thing with praise and see what happens. I praise you, God, because I know that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. I praise you, God, because I know that you have liberated me from the reign of sin and death. I praise you, God, because I know that I am not the sum total of my last decisions. I praise you, God, because the nation in which I live will be a footnote in the pages of history one day, and the nation in which I am a citizen will always remain. I praise you, God. Because you are good and I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I praise you, God, because you provide everything for me just as much as the birds don't go grocery shopping and the flowers don't go shopping for clothes. You will provide for me what I need. I praise you, God, because you are my God. Amen. Enter into that. Praise paves the way for God's power to be displayed where miracles are possible. And that is where we are. Enter into that with praise. Believe that God is present. And then let God be God. Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God. The prisoners were listening. And an earthquake happened. And their chains were broken. Because when we raise a hallelujah to God, in the face of our enemies, the enemy cannot remain. So here's my thing. Today is August 4th. Today is a different day for Fred Ligon. I am going to commit to the best of my ability to move beyond my whining and my complaining, my blues in the life of the mind as to what God's not doing in my life or the world in which I live and the place in which I live given to its idolatries and my own idolatries. And I am going to start learning the language of praise in a fresh way for me and my life and my family. I'm going to start learning that language. May God give me grace and strength and may he do the same for you. I want to learn how to raise a hallelujah in the midst of the hell. I'll say that again. I want to, raise, I want to learn to raise a hallelujah in the midst of the hell. I want to do that. And I want to see the manifest presence of God break out. What do you want to do? You and I have to decide. I want to raise a hallelujah. Louder than my unbelief. Because my God isn't contingent upon my belief. And thanks be to God, I'm not saved because of my, un my belief. I'm saved because when Jesus was on the cross, you know what he said? It is finished. My hope's in him. And every week we gather, we come to the table and hold the bread and the wine. This is a moment of praise. That's why it's not some somber sort of moment. That's why it was always called the Eucharist, Thanksgiving, <laughs> celebration, humble 
gracious receiving of what God has done in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ.